Uh, we, we are going to turn to the to the word Exodus chapter thirty three, um, and we're going to hear uh, from the Lord as we continue this series unveiled and understanding the impact of God's glory and and, and what it means in that Second Corinthians three eighteen uh, foundational passage for our year that that we are to reflect the mirror image of God's glory into the world. Uh, and what a daunting uh, reality that should be for us to come to grips with. So we're going to be in Exodus 33, beginning in verse 12. Uh, let's together hear the word of the Lord. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. So the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, then do not send us up for here. Uh, How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence I will have mercy on those whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand. And you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father, we come before you in this space, in this time, thankful for uh, the power of your word, for the opportunity we have to approach you and to learn from you in it. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see our ears, that we would hear Open our minds that we come to know and understand your word and indeed your ultimate will. Open our hearts that we would feel its power. Then by your grace, I pray, O God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is an intimate conversation that we are able to bear witness to between God and Moses. And this comes at a, at a critical juncture in, uh, in the story of the Exodus. They are trying to learn what it means to be God's people after generations of knowing what it means to be slaves to another master. And so they are in need of a fresh framework, an understanding of how they are now to operate in the world, and God and Moses are having conversation about this, and I want to be sure uh, as we walk through verse 12 through 17 that we understand the the nature of this dialogue that leads to this uh, powerful interaction that we see at the end of the passage that we read, And, and it leads up to our experience and understanding of what the glory of God is and how we must engage with it. 
Uh, the opening is this, this desire that comes from Moses. It's a pleading. And, and I want you to imagine the, the conversation happening in verse 12 through 17 as a prayer. Uh, after all, prayer is a conversation that you have with God. And I know that sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Sometimes uh, we, we, we don't know if or when we're able to hear God, but we are submitting ourselves to God. We are talking to God. We're, we're giving God praise. We're giving him adoration. We're confessing our sins. And we're also making requests before God. And so some of this conversation between Moses and God uh, can be heard like a prayer because Moses is making requests. And so he begins by just laying out that, that um, I want the, the people, I want the world to, to know that you sent me. And so I have this question. He says, I know that you know me by name. I know that you're pleased with me. These are things that, that we've, that we've uh, walked through together. You called me by name, and you've said that you're pleased with me. And, and so this intimacy of our interaction doesn't just begin in the framework of this prayer, but it comes from a history of a relationship. And you can relate to that as well, because as you pray to God, it's not the first time for most of you that you're praying to God. There's a, a history of relationship. And so think about the fact that God knows you, that God loves you, that God came for you, sent his son for you, and that you've had this ongoing relationship. This should be really our heart song. Lord, find me as you found your servant Moses. Find me as one that you know, that you call by name. And Lord, also find me as one that you're pleased with. That, that, that you're well pleased with me, just as you say you were well pleased with your son Jesus, just as you say that you're pleased with Moses, find me as one you're pleased with. And so this, I know you by name, you found favor with me, but then, then it just calls with a very specific question. Let me know whom you will send with me. Give me the who. Uh, I know that, that, that you've called me to this point, but from this point forward, who's going with me? So I wrote out in the margin of my Bible, who? who? Who who is going to go with me? And God's answer is so beautiful, succinct, and clear. You want to know who's going to go with you? I'm going to go with you. My very presence is going to go with you. I will never abandon you or forsake you or leave you alone. And so often that's the way that we end up feeling whenever Satan comes to tempt us into despair. Satan is telling us you're alone and God's saying, I would never leave you alone. You want to know who's going to go with you? I'm going to go with you. I am with you now and will be with you all along the way. So in verse 14, you can write down, right next to it, you can write down God. God is the one, is the who that will go with you. And then you, you find in verse 15 and verse 16 this, this word of encouragement. Absolutely, Moses is like, your answer is, is exactly what I needed to hear. But your answer, uh, I, need to, I need to hear from you that it's going to sustain. right? I, I, need, I need you to know how important God it is to me that I hear that. Uh, he says, if you're not going to go with us, don't send us. If you're not going to be with me, I don't want to go. Because I can't do it on my own. Because I'm incapable of doing it on my own. This journey that I know is before me, this journey of life that comes with temptation and trial and challenge. This, this life that Moses lived and this life that you and I live. If we're not with God, then why would we want to go? I love how Moses kind of frames that up for us. And then he... He says that, 
that he, he knows like, that, that God is pleased again, that God knows him by name again. So it's kind of this recurring theme, this intimacy of relationship, those two things. I know you by name, and I'm pleased with you. But then I, I, I wish that the writer of this English version of the Bible would have drawn a hard paragraph break in the middle of verse 16. I actually drew a line because I see that, that, the, that, that the conversation shifts and there's a secondary question that's not connected to the question and answer that we've already seen. And in the second half of verse 16, here's what Moses says. What else? How audacious is Moses? Like, who's going to go with me? I'm going to go with you. What else? Like, isn't that enough? Like, you already got the best answer that you could ever get. God is with you. But then that turn of phrase, that second question, that what else is actually bold enough to be on Moses' lips, and God doesn't immediately strike him down. It's shocking. Like, like God can handle your huge prayers. Have you ever prayed for something and wondered, uh, why am I bold enough to pray that? That seems audacious, radical, unbelievable. Have you prayed for someone's life to be spared, for, for, your, for, for your despair to turn to joy, for your discomfort to turn to peace? Can you imagine all of the audacious prayers that you've prayed? That's Moses here. What else? You're with me. What else? And, and specifically, he lays it out this way. What else? What else could you give me? What else could happen here that would distinguish me and my people from the world around us? Uh, what would show the world that, that, that I have encountered you and that you go with us? I am asking, Moses says, what else? Uh, I love God's response here. God addresses verse 15 in the first half of verse 16, and God doesn't address the what else at all. Totally seems to kind of sweep it under the rug and turn the corner. In verse 17, the Lord, uh, the Lord says to Moses, I will do the very thing you asked for, which is the presence going with you. Uh, because I'm pleased with you, I know you by name. I'm hearing that again. I'm pleased with you, I know you by name. This one-two punch that we've now heard three times as we walked our way through the text. But God does not speak to Moses's what else. And then Moses decides, as we, as we turn the corner from this walking through the question and answer session to the, the, the very clear not only, uh, not only named as what else, but a no longer ambiguous request. Moses lays forth in verse 18 his detailed desire, his heart's desire. Moses says in verse 18, now show me your glory. Moses says the what else I desire is that you would show me your glory. Now, 
that's a, a huge request. You, you might remember from last week that we saw from, uh, from Aaron's sons what interacting with God's glory is, is like, the real threat to our human life because there's an imbalance between us and God, the, the perfect God and our imperfect selves, the, the righteous God and our unrighteousness. The, the, the fact that those two things could intersect is an unbelievable reality. And so God always throughout history up until Jesus laid forth uh, an intermediation uh, between God and us. And here, here Moses is still yet bold enough to say, show me your glory. God, I want to see you in your fullness. I want to bear witness to your wonder. I want to be humbled by your power. I want to see your glory. Now, God can hear that, and God loves Moses and loves us enough to hear it, to, to, to receive it, and then to, to offer God's very best in response. You see, here's how this lays out. God says, um, uh, I hear your request. I know what you're asking. Uh, but, but if you were to see me, to see all of me, to see my face, in fact, you would die. You can't handle what you're asking for. And so um, there's a difference here. There's a difference between uh, a partial exposure, like, like say God's back, versus a full exposure, like say God's face. And to see the fullness of God's glory would be looking at God as though you're looking into his face. And we understand that because let's think about it. I mean, how many times do you look at someone's back and you think, I know who that is. Have you ever, maybe it's just me because I'm like that bold extrovert and I like walk up to someone, like I see someone from the back and I walk up to them to say hi to them and I like tap them on the shoulder to say hi and then it's not the person I thought it was? Me? Uh, okay, that probably happened by someone like me to you. Uh, so, so uh, but, but then to see someone in their face, right, to be able to look them in the eye, to be able to see the expression of their face, as they radiate joy, as uh, their eyes glimmer, as there's tenderness, as there's connection. To look someone face to face is intimate and powerful. And God says, you can't handle that as a human, but I'm going to give you as much as I can. I'm going to go as far as I can to, to meet your request, but I understand the limits of your capacity, and I'm going to offer myself up to that limit. And so here's the, the way this works out. God says, um, there's a rock. I want you to stand on the rock. And then as I come towards you, as, as I get close, I'm going, I love the, the imagery of this. I don't know if it actually laid out uh, 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 directly as I imagine it or as I think the words lay this out for me, but it literally says that God is going to pick Moses up and place him in the cleft of a rock. 
right? And so I want you to imagine like a big boulder that might come down and there's a little V, uh, like a peaking point so that your peripheral vision is closed off and the rock is guarding it so that you now have tunnel vision, right? But it says that God, as he get, gets close, takes him off of the rock and puts him inside the cleft of the rock. And as Moses is approaching, as God is approaching Moses, Because his face is now to the front, he's going to put his hand out to cover the cleft of the rock so that that tunnel vision area is covered and Moses would not be able to see his face. But as he passes, God says, as he passes, he's going to remove his hand so that God is able to catch a glimpse of vision of God's glory from the back. God's going to reveal himself, and it says God's going to speak his name, Yahweh. God's going to speak his name as he reveals the back of his glory. What a beautiful picture that God is going to place us in this situation of safety, that God's going to cover us from the threat with his hand so that he is the very thing that will protect us and as he passes by he's going to give as much of himself to us as we can receive it's an extraordinary scene and it all begins with Moses being bold enough to say what else and God ignoring the question and Moses saying let me be specific I want to see you God I want you I want your glory I want to know you. I want a relationship with you, God. Last week, I I invited us to consider that God's glory requires mediated interaction in order to mitigate risk. That there is real risk to interacting with God's glory. That God's glory has power and there is this imbalance that keeps us from being able to fully receive it. But that's mediated interaction. Uh, in, in the course of chronology, we actually are before what we read last week in Leviticus. And so this movement, this mediated interaction between us and God's glory has this movement. The first is through God's hand. The second is through the veil, the third is through the priest, and then finally it's through Jesus. So I want to propose to you for us to, to, uh, to imagine or to come to realize that, that this movement of God's hand as the mediated interaction is foreshadowing of how God will put himself in between us and the risk. That God, would, that God would lay himself in the place of the risk so that we could have as much of him as possible. That God would even go to the point of sending his son Jesus so that Jesus would die on the cross so that we would have the fullness of God available to us. He would draw near to us And at first it's through his hand we are protected, and then it's through his son that we are covered, so that not only are we able to have some of him, but through Jesus we are able to have all of him. No longer does it require a hand of protection in the relationship we have with God, but now you and I can say as Moses did, show me your glory, and he will give it all to you.
your eyes can be opened and you can see that the kingdom of heaven is drawn near, that the world around you is different, that the Holy Spirit now dwells within and you and the glory of God can radiate his presence out into the world. No longer are we in need of that hand of protection, but you and I can boldly ask and receive the glory of the Lord today. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you. We come before you asking that you would show us your glory. Yes, Lord, we are bold enough as Moses is to ask, Lord, we need your glory. We need to see you and know you, to, to come into relationship with you. And, and Lord, uh, uh, we dare to ask even in this space and time for you uh, to offer yourself to us. Lord, we need you. I pray, Lord, I pray that you would uh, that you would make yourself known, that, that we would not only see your back, but we would stare into the glory of your face as those who have been made clean by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, we stare into your face and we come into relationship with you, Father. Lord, thank you. Thank you for making a way and for calling us to now reflect that image of your glory into the world. We thank you. And so, Lord, as we continue in worship and we enter into this time of offering, we, we, we pour out uh, a portion of what you have blessed us with to the, to the kingdom-building work of your church. And we ask, Lord, that you would be glorified through it. Lord, we, we submit these things not because you need them, but because we want to offer them as, as an acknowledgement of the honor that we have for you and the, and the trust we have in your provision. And so we pray, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in all that takes place in this space and time of offering. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.